Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. So good morning, everyone. It is so great to be here with you all. Before we jump into what I believe is a word that God has for this group today, I want to do a quick little activity, if you'll bear with me, okay? Um, I want to just say something, and when I say it, I want you to be super attentive to your first reaction. What are the thoughts that come to your mind? What are the images you see? What are the feelings or emotions that you sense? So even if you want to just close your eyes for a second, you can do that. But I just want you to be really aware of what is your first reaction. So here we go. When I say the world, the global communities, peoples, cultures that are in our world today, what comes to your mind? What's your first reaction? Maybe it's something you heard this morning. We've done a lot of prayer. We've, done, we've heard stories. We've seen images. But I'm just curious, just so I kind of have a pulse of who's in the room, how many of you, when you hear the world, think adventure, excitement, exploration, seeing new things, different things? How many of you have that reaction? And maybe you have multiple reactions. Okay, a few of you. Okay. How many of you, when you hear the world... Think about a specific culture, maybe a place that you visited or a place that you've lived, if you're an international student or TCK, or a place where maybe someone you know lives. How many of you think of that when you think the world? Okay, a number of people. How many of you, when you hear the world, think about just the really difficult things going on in the world today? The conflicts, the war, the needs, how many of you feel that, maybe even a heaviness or sadness? I think for me, that is my pre predominant reaction these days. We live in an unprecedented time and age where we have more awareness of what's going on in the world than ever before. Just 20 or 30 years ago, if there was a war on the other side of the world, we may have read about it in the morning paper or watched about it in the half hour evening news program, and then we would have gone about with our day. We would have not encountered it constantly throughout our day. We might have talked about it, but wouldn't have been before us all the time. Today, all of the deep and desperate needs of the world are right here in our back pocket all day long. You can't open your news feed or your social media feed without getting bombarded with the needs in the world, and they are great. We've encountered some of them just this morning, right, talking about how a third of the world doesn't even know the name of Jesus or have access to the scripture in their own language. We know that maybe estimates say around 25 million people today are enslaved in forced labor or the sex industry. We know that there are wars and conflicts going on, hunger, famine, natural disasters. We could go on and on. For me, the most pressing thing that keeps me awake at night is that we are living in an unprecedented time when younger generations are experiencing things that we have never seen or have not seen in a long time. I am a generational researcher, and what we know is that typically young people are the most optimistic and idealistic generation alive until today. Today, what we t are, are told by the research globally that as many young people today feel anxiety, feel fear, feel loneliness, feel uncertainty about what the future holds. 
So I could talk all morning, we could talk all morning about the great and desperate needs of the world, but that's not what I want to talk about, because I feel like God wants to remind us how he responds to the deep and desperate needs in the world. Because guess what? Long before there was social media and news feeds, long before globalization and technology, God has been responding to the deep and desperate needs of the world. And he continues to respond in a similar way. And here's how God chooses to respond. I'll be honest with you, it's not the way I would respond. It's not even the way that I necessarily think makes the most sense to respond most days. How many of you look at the things going on in the world and you're like, Lord, why don't you just fix this? God has always and continues to respond by choosing to use the unlikely people to do unlikely things. Let me say that again. God chooses to use unlikely people to do unlikely things. So if you're in the room this morning and you feel like it might be unlikely for God to use you in a significant way, awesome. Because guess what? You are the perfect person for God to use. I will tell you the truth. I am one of the most unlikely people to be standing in front of you today. I grew up as a TCK. I grew up in Latin America. I grew up in a place, my parents were missionaries, where there were no international schools, so we were homeschooled. I was weird, okay? And we, I didn't have any friends who spoke English. All my friends spoke Spanish. I was immersed in the culture where I lived. And when I turned 18 and I came to a college similar to this one, I thought I had landed on another planet, Okay, any TCKs or international students maybe feel that way? Okay, I can remember sitting in the cafeteria thinking, everyone around me is speaking English, but I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't understand the references they're making. I felt so isolated. I felt so alone. I was trying to figure out what a syllabus was, what a teacher wanted from me, what a test was. All these things, I was experiencing extreme culture shock and homesickness, and all I wanted to do was leave. I hated college. <laughs> I just wanted to survive and get on to the rest of my life. I wanted to go back overseas and serve God in a culture that I was familiar with in a way that I was comfortable with. And on my summer break between my freshman and sophomore year, I went home to Mexico at the time, and I was hanging out with my friends. We went to a youth conference. And at that youth conference, um, at the end of an evening service, I was standing out in the back just chatting with my friends, and the speaker walks out the back door on his way to get in the car. He was being escorted to his car to drive back to the hotel. And as he walked by me and my friends, he turns around, he points at me, and he says in Spanish, God is calling you to serve college students in America. I was like, what? No, I just want to get out of college and I want to get out of America. I don't want either of those things to be my calling. So similar to Sarah, who when she was 90 years old and heard God say she was going to have a baby, what did she do? Anybody remember? She laughed because it seems so unlikely at 90 that she would have a baby. I kind of laughed. I laughed. Ha ha. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with and serve college students in America. Guess where I am? Where am I? At a college in America, right? God works in unlikely ways. I want us, so in what ways, my question for us today, as we look at some stories, is how do you feel? In what ways do you feel unlikely to be used by God? There is something in each of our lives that causes us to feel like an unlikely candidate to be used by God in some way. 
Okay, and we're going to wrestle with those things this morning. But first, I want to look at three individuals just very briefly that are just a sample of the many, many, many people God has used who were unlikely, and God used them in unlikely ways. The first is in Judges 6. In Judges 6, we meet a young man named Gideon. And Gideon was, at that moment, hiding. Why was he hiding? Because he was an Israelite, and at the time, the Midianites, who lived near the Israelites, were oppressing them. They would come in and raid all of their food. And so at that time, when there's not Costco or Publix, you had to grow your food, and if you didn't grow it and you didn't store it, you would starve. So food was very, very important. And so he was hiding because he did not want the Midianites to come and steal his harvest. And he was threshing this grain. He was living in fear. He was not feeling super confident. And guess what? The Lord appears to Gideon in this moment. And we find the verse. Oh, I just lost my verse. Where is it? Uh, here we go. In Judges 6. Verse 14, it says, the Lord turned to him, oh, I have the clicker, there we go, okay. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, can you imagine poor Gideon? He's sitting here just trying to hide, make sure nobody comes and steals his grain. And the Lord appears and says, go in the strength that you have. What strength? What strength? I'm hiding, just trying to feed my family. I don't have any strength. I'm trying to survive. He says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel. So I love Gideon's response to the Lord. Pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> Any of you ever say that to the Lord? Pardon me, Lord. Can I add something to this conversation, right? He says, pardon me, Lord. How can I save Israel? Not only am I hiding here trying to survive, but my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I'm nobody. I am not the person you want to call to do this task. We see that Gideon is insecure. He's fearful. He's doubtful. He's oppressed. Now, if you're God sitting in heaven looking at your people who are oppressed by the enemy, is this the person you would choose? This is not the person I would choose. This is why I say God does not do things the way I think he should. He does not respond the way that we sometimes think he should. He chooses the unlikely people to do unlikely things. Why? Because he receives the glory. Okay, let's look at another one. Most of us know about David, right? David was a little boy who killed Goliath. We know the story about his slingshot, right? Where he goes up and he kills the giant. But often we don't know David's backstory. David was the youngest in a family of a lot of sons. And guess who got a lot of attention? Do you think the youngest in a family of a lot of sons? No. David was pretty much forgotten much of the time. He was sent out to the fields to take care of the sheep. We know that when the prophet Samuel showed up at his home and said to his dad, bring me all your sons because God told me I'm going to anoint one of them to be the next king of Israel, did they even bother to get David? No. They left him out there taking care of the sheep. It wasn't until Samuel got through the whole line of sons to the end, he's like, it's none of these. Are there no other sons? But they're like, oh, yeah, that's right, David. He's out there in the field. Go get him. So David 
was clearly not the priority in his family, not the most acknowledged or recognized. And in a family of soldiers and farmers, you know, he's out there playing his harp playing music. He was probably viewed as a little bit different. So we find that when Goliath and the Philistines came up against the Israelites and David's brothers, the big tough soldiers, went out to fight, David was the errand boy. He was the least likely to be the one who had to help save Israel that day. I mean, here they have a giant, an enemy coming against them, and David's dad says, hey, David, take some food to your brothers and see how things are going out there. And so David arrives in the army camp, the least likely to help in this desperate situation. But when he shows up, here's what his brother says to him. His brother Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men in the camp, and he turned with anger and asked, why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Any of you have a big brother or sister who talks to you like this? (laughs) What are you doing here? Go take care of whatever. What are you even doing here? Instead of, hey, brother, so glad you're here. You brought us some food from home. Thank you. No, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David had some challenges. Very few people thought that he was likely. He was the youngest. He was often disregarded. He was misunderstood, and he clearly had broken relationships with his dad and his brothers. Not the kind of person that you're like, hey, let's have this guy rescue us. Okay, one more. Esther. Now, Esther was living during a time, a very difficult time for Israel as well. They had disobeyed God again and again and again until finally God had sent King Nebuchadnezzar to conquer the Israelites and to take many of them into exile in Babylon. So Esther is one of the Jews who's living in exile in Babylon. She's a foreigner in a a foreign land. And it says in Esther 2, 5 through 7, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a few of the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken uh, captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she, was neither, she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who is also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and she was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. So here's the reality of uh, Esther's life. She's a foreigner. She's a Jew. She's in exile. On top of that, she's a woman in a culture where women were not always valued as much as the men. And She's an orphan. She has no mother or father. Like Esther has so many things about her that make her unlikely to be used by God. She is at the bottom of almost every list (laughs) that she's on. And yet God calls. We'll look tomorrow at these stories in a little bit more depth. God calls Gideon. God calls David, God calls Esther, and he uses them in unlikely ways to respond to deep and desperate needs of their time. 
but it took a choice on their part as well. And that's what we're going to look at tomorrow. But today, I want us to go back to what in our lives makes us feel unlikely to be used by God. I shared a little bit of my story and things that made me feel like I never fit in, I was never good enough, I never had a shared experience, I could never relate. For some of us in this room, it might be the fact that we grew up in a home that was not a Christian home. We didn't go to church. We don't have the experiences of our missionary kid and pastor kid friends. We don't know the Bible as well as other people. For some of us, it might be those broken family relationships similar to David. That we're like, we didn't learn how to love and be loved the way that God desires us to be. For some of us, we might have abuse in our lives that causes us to say, I can't, I'm broken, I'm hurting. For others, it's sin that is just nagging away at us, maybe unrecognized or undealt with. And we're hiding it, and it makes us feel like we can never fit in. We might put on the right face, but there's an addiction or something in our lives that makes us feel we are unlikely to ever, ever be used by God. We are broken and flawed. But I'm here to tell you God is in the business of using unlikely people in unlikely ways. This generation, I've been studying generations for about 15 years because I'm intrigued by how God calls different people at different times. There are many people, as I do trainings with missions agencies and nonprofits and church leaders, there are many people who say, Gen Z is the least likely, Gen Z is college students and young adults today, least likely generation to be used by God. They're facing so many challenges and struggles that are different than the challenges and struggles we had 10 years ago. There's not as many young people coming to church. There's not as many young people signing up to go serve in missions. There's not as many young people who are wanting to be faithful to what God has called us to be. This is such an unlikely generation. What are we going to do? The sky is falling. This is what I sometimes hear. It's perfect timing. Why? Because when it's unlikely is when God shows up. Yesterday I was coaching soccer. One of the ways that God has just called my husband and I to minister in our community is to coach community soccer. And let me tell you, it has been amazing to engage with these young people. But I had a sixth grader show up yesterday at practice, just crushed. Because she had overheard one of her teachers talking to another teacher saying how she hated her third period class because they were so rude and disrespectful. And the sixth grader showed up at practice just devastated because she heard her teacher say, I hate you. I hate your, your class. Now, were they rude and disrespectful? Probably. <laughs> but too often, my generation, older generations, we have spoken curses over the younger generation and said, you are unlikely. You're just like that teacher said to that sixth grader, you're disrespectful or rude. How is God going to use you? And I repent today. I ask for your forgiveness for the times that we have not been faithful to recognize what God is calling in you for such a time as this. So as we, as we wrap up today, I want us to just take a moment. I want you to think about what is it in your life that makes you feel unlikely to be used by God. 
Is it something that is in your heart that you've maybe never shared with anybody else, something in your background? Is it something that someone has spoken over you or that you have heard? What is it in your life that makes you feel unlikely to be used by God? And if the worship team wants to come, I I believe someone was going to come up. Um, You should have gotten a card as you came in today and a pencil or a pen. And if you didn't, just share with someone next to you, have them rip off a piece. But often today, when we are communicating with people, um, we're often doing it with these little devices, right? We're texting. But there's something really powerful about writing something in our own handwriting and actually doing something tangible and physical, not just virtual. So what I want us to do today is just take, we're just going to take a moment and I just want you to reflect and say, God, what is it in my life that makes me feel unlikely to be used by God, by you, to meet the deep and desperate needs in this world? And you can be as specific or as vague as you want. You're not going to share this with anyone. You're not going to show it to anyone. This is just between you and God. But I want us to physically write out something, what it is that we feel is our list, like David and Gideon and Esther had their list. What's on your list? Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's a whole list of things. What is it that makes you feel unlikely? And today, as you exit, there are going to be buckets by the doors. I want you to physically take that list, fold it up, crumple it up, and I want you to put it in that bucket as a tangible way of saying, God, I am giving you this list. I'm giving you this list of the things that I have used or I have seen or others have said make me unlikely, and I want you to choose me. I want you to choose me as an unlikely candidate for your kingdom work. So we're just going to take these last couple of minutes, and um, as we worship, just go ahead and reflect, pray, and then as we're dismissed today, just drop those in the buckets on your way out the door. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.